0: Matthew chapter 17, reading from verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then, Jesus, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Our Lord's blessing be on that reading of his word this morning. So as I say here, we tread holy ground indeed to to read what these three favoured disciples saw. There were three occasions recorded in Scripture where the Lord Jesus took these three disciples, Peter, James and John, apart from the others. Uh, This is one of those occasions. Another was uh, when the daughter of Jairus had died and he took Peter and James and John into the room where this young girl lay dying and taking her by the hand, spoke, lifted her to her feet and restored her alive to her father and her family once again. And the other occasion was in Gethsemane. The disciples on these occasions were divided into three groups. Uh, There was a group of one, that was Judas Iscariot he was even at that point of time coming with a delegation of uh, troops arresting officers to arrest the lord to have him brought before the sanhedrin prior to his crucifixion and then there were the then there were eight disciples left on the outer and finally these final three peter james and john and he took them a little further And told them to stay and pray while he went even further still alone. And so on all three occasions there is this uh, scepter of death. Here with these two visitors from the Old Testament scriptures, Moses and Elijah, speaking of the death that he would accomplish in Jerusalem. Death in that room where Jairus' daughter was and then his impending death on the cross in Gethsemane. The place, according to commentators, was either Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor, uh, just north of Caesarea in Philippi, and uh, in the region of Galilee, uh, more favoured of Mount Hermon, and and we see here that... uh, He was transfigured before them. The word that is translated here has also been transliterated into our English language, metamorphosis. It is the word metaphoro, meaning changed, that we have in the scriptures. Another instance of this is where we are exhorted to be transfigured, to be transformed, to be changed, and that is in uh, the Epistle to the Romans chapter twelve and verse two, where there uh, and verses one and two, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then verse two comes in be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed be changed, same word in the original, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good for God, yes, but good also for us so that we too may go forth with the mighty power of God within us rejoicing in our salvation. And and then uh, considering the visitors that were there with him, Moses and Elijah, these two great men from Old Testament scriptures, Moses, whose words we've already been directed to this morning, and Elijah, these two representing the law and the prophets. Um, Elijah one of the greatest prophets uh, that we could read about there. Not one of the writing prophets, one of the speaking prophets, but seeking to bring the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom at that time, back to God, lest God visit them in judgment. And the subject of their discussion together, these two visitors from the Old Testament, uh Brought to the mountain with the Lord and uh, the Lord himself, discussing the death that he would accomplish in Jerusalem. Not the death that he would suffer, not the death that he would experience, the death that he would accomplish. He went into death as the victor. He rose again the third day, victorious, so that we now can say with the Apostle Paul, "O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, but on the cross he dealt with sin forever in all of its judicial aspects. At his resurrection, rising victoriously from the dead, displaying to the whole universe that sin has been defeated. Satan is a defeated foe. And in his ascension... Now seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high, and we, by faith, are seated there with him, seated in the heavenlies, by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If we if we know him as savior, and there's also the memory of that momentous occasion. I'm sure that Peter and James and John would never have forgotten those. Uh, That experience, as long as they lived, James, of course, was to have a shortened uh, life as an apostle. He was the first of the twelve to be martyred. He was martyred by Herod Agrippa I. Uh, We read of that in the book of Acts, chapter 12, put to death with the sword. Peter was also in prison when Herod saw that this pleased the Jews. He was going to do the same with Peter but Peter was miraculously del- delivered and, of course, we have that verse that, uh, of a lovely hymn. Uh, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast closed by sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, the dungeon flamed with light. This is the experience that Peter had that uh, Charles Wesley drew upon to write those words uh, of the hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? But um, John, uh, remembered; he makes a passing reference to that in his uh, Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. He'd been speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And how all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then we come to verse 14 of that chapter. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he goes on to say, we beheld his glory. And that's what John did on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter also in his second epistle Now he is very near to death. He has already told his readers that the time is coming when he must depart. But here in chapter 1 of his second epistle, and he writes these words, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Already there was uh, heresy coming into the early church, the church of the first century. Uh, All sorts of heretical doctrine was being taught uh, concerning our Lord's person. And Peter here is refuting that and uh, he's speaking as an eyewitness. This is what our law courts insist upon. They want to know what you heard, what you saw and they want this eyewitness evidence, they don't want hearsay. And so Peter is saying, I am here as an eyewitness. Uh, I'll read again from verse 16 For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour. And glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so, without any hesitation at all, Peter is affirming the deity, the glory the Godhead or the uh, God person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was only a week or 10 days before this event that the Lord with his 12 disciples asked the question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And some of them said, well, the room is getting around. Some of them say that you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been uh, killed at this time by uh, Herod Antipas and uh, this was on the whim of uh, Herod's second wife or his new wife because uh, uh, Herod Antipas had married Herodias the wife of Philip uh, John the Baptist denounced that and for that reason he was put in prison And he was bitterly hated by Herodias. And so she caused her daughter to so influence her father that he would ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And John the Baptist uh, was beheaded on that occasion. And so here were people saying, well, you, you must be John the Baptist returned from the dead. They must have seen things in the Lord that were somewhat characteristic Perhaps as uh, John fronted up to the Pharisees, "O generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Comparing that with our Lord's words to the Pharisees, these same hypocritical religious leaders. And uh, when he said to them, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! You may clean the outside of the platter, but inside a dead man's bones. He likened them to a whitewashed coffin. Inside, uh, it was corruption. And that's how they were. So some say John the Baptist. And some say Elijah. Uh, Elijah, uh, this one who appeared with the Lord on the mountain. He was the one who, who uh, called uh, Ahab to account and uh, spoke of his uh, sin Uh, Ahab of course had married the wicked queen Jezebel Uh, she was a princess Jezebel from a foreign country but uh, she brought idol worship, pagan worship into Israel and so Elijah was the one who challenged the 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and saw a great victory for the Lord on that occasion so Some were saying Elijah. Others were saying Jeremiah. Perhaps they had seen or heard the Lord uh, weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets. How often I would have gathered you together, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chickens. But you were not willing. And thinking of Jeremiah's words, lamenting for his people Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. This one who said, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? And uh, and so some were likening them to that. Now, these, these things, or, or one of the prophets, uh, might, might have been uh, things about the Lord that other people saw that they couldn't really point to one particular prophet but characteristic of all the prophets prophets like uh, Micah um, just like to go to Micah we don't often go to Micah at, at times for for a message but but we should Hosea, Joel, Amos, Abediah, Jonah, Micah when I get there Micah chapter one. So, so Micah is one of the minor prophets. Not minor in his in his importance, but the length of his prophecy. It's not a long prophecy. Sixty six chapters, like that of Isaiah or Ezekiel or um, uh, Jeremiah. This is a. This, these are the minor prophets, the shorter ones. Uh, He starts off by saying the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. He had a long innings as a prophet. These three kings of the southern kingdom, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Micah was to go to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The capital of the northern kingdom of that time was Samaria. Samaria. Later in New Testament times, Samaria spoke of the area between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. But here was just the divided kingdom, Israel in the north with the capital city, Samaria. And uh, Micah's message was to both of these countries. But um, Micah, we find in chapter 3, verse 8, something of the characteristics of all the prophets, common to all the prophets, Where he says, truly I am full of power by the spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. This is common to all of the prophets to tell the people, to warn them of their sin, to bring them back to God. And perhaps they saw this in uh, Micah also. So while we're here... Perhaps go to chapter 5, verse 2. This is a verse for which Micah is well, most well known. A birth of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou art little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So here is the prophecy then of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to Bethlehem. Uh, That uh, Bethlehem, uh, little among the thousands, thousands of places where the Lord could have been born, but he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Bethlehem Ephrata. Though there be little among. So here is a prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord. And here we have both his humanity and his deity. Eternal, undiminished deity in any form. While he was on earth, he never ceased to be God. And yet he was truly human. Pure, sinless humanity. Two natures perfectly combined in this one individual at the same time, our Lord Jesus himself. And so, uh, so then on that occasion, the Lord asked him another question: "Who do you say that I am?" And not surprisingly, it's Peter who rises to the occasion here and comes out unhesitatingly: "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And for that, he is warmly commended. To compare any of us with any of these great men of the scriptures would be a compliment, but to compare the Lord Jesus to them is less than that because how can he be compared to any of of his creation? Sinless humanity, as we've been reminded this morning that we are sinners saved by matchless grace and yet we come with confidence and with boldness but he is not to be compared with us this was not a compliment for him to be compared with Moses, Elijah John the Baptist, Jeremiah or any of these They, these two uh, visitors from Old Testament times they certainly were discussing with him the death that he would accomplish but um, but uh, he is not to be compared with, uh, with them. And, uh, and so uh, this is where we have the commendation from God himself. We, we've seen what their opinions of the Lord are, John the Baptist and so forth. We heard Peter's declaration, which was fine, which was excellent, which was true. Thou art the Christ, son of the living God, but here on the mountain we hear this affirmation from God the Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This was the capstone of all commendations that could come the way of our Lord Jesus. We speak of him as our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is not his surname. His name is not Jesus Christ, like my name is Tom Clifford. Christ is his title. It means anointed one. It it is the New Testament word for the Old Testament Messiah. It means that he was anointed by God. When kings and priests in Old Testament times were were commissioned, they were anointed by uh, pouring of olive oil. But here... The Lord Jesus has this confirmation from God himself. He is the anointed of the Father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. On one occasion the crowds wanted to take him by force to make him king. We read of this in John's Gospel. And his refusal to allow this to happen evidently led many to doubt uh, his person. And so... Uh, At that time there were erroneous views of his person. Uh, The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of these religious groups were consistently and continually uh, accusing him but but he was able to uh, have answers for all of them. Even today there are erroneous and inadequate views of our Lord Jesus in some circles, and and this is just so very very sad. Uh, he is uh, he is God. He is God the Son. He always has been God. He God from the very beginning, as Micah foretold, uh, whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting. The eternal God. This is the one. But when God became a man in Bethlehem, he became what he had never been before, God incarnate. These two natures perfectly combined in the one individual. And so we must always have the right thoughts of our Lord Jesus Christ when we speak of him. Uh, I close with these words here. What think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme? You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. These are words from John Newton, the one who wrote um, How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Uh, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton wrote those words, What, think ye of Christ, is the test to try both your state and your scheme? You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. In Luke's account of the transfiguration, all of Matthew, Mark and Luke, the synoptic gospel writers, they all mention this event, and Luke, in his account of it, said that Uh, Jesus took these three disciples and went up into the mountain to pray and while he was praying his countenance was changed while he was praying and haven't there been times in our prayer life when we've just felt just that so much closer to our God sometimes prayer can be so hard and and we we have distracting thoughts, and uh, the telephone rings or something else but um, but when we can have this precious time of prayer it 's almost like you know we 're there and and so so uh, it is so very, very wonderful to have but um, uh, here we have the account of our lord 's transfiguration. May these thoughts that we 've had. Um, Be a blessing to us as we go forth into this new week. Our Father, once again, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for him. We give you thanks, Father, that uh, he came as a babe. We, We rejoice in this. And as we trace his life in the Gospels, We rejoice to see how he was able to move so freely among mankind, to be tempted in all points as we are, to bring about healing, speak words of compassion, and then to go to the cross. Oh, Father, our hearts just well up with love and praise. We thank you too for this glimpse that we have had of his glory before he came, the glory that he'd set aside. He never ceased to be God, but he laid aside all of those uh, wonders and, and how these three disciples were able to see and give us their accounts of it. So, Father, we do pray that uh, we will go forth from this time onwards with the power of God within us to do those things that are well pleasing to him and so we return our thanks now in his worthy and precious name amen Amen. and if I may just close off with um, Micah's signature there as he closes his short epistle Um, and it's the the other end of uh, the verse from Exodus 15 that commenced as speaking of God's holiness and Micah whose name means who is like the Lord and he signs his name. Who is a pardoning God like thee that pardoneth iniquity, passing by the transgression of the remnant of his people. He will not hold his anger forever and he will take their sins, cast them into the depth of the sea. This is Micah and so um, You know, so often we think that the Old Testament prophets and uh, teachers, they didn't know much of grace then. Grace didn't come until the Lord came. And in a sense, that's true. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. But they knew grace. Who is a pardoning God like thee? Or who has grace so rich and free using the words of the hymn based on that verse? Well, may the Lord bless us this day and in the days to come.